electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks so much. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour, the troubled tech trade, the Nasdaq down three straight weeks. The Dow, though, setting another record high. So how long will the tech sector stay out of favor? We debate that with our investment committee today. Joining me for the hour, Jenny Harrington is CEO and portfolio manager at Gilman Hill Asset Management. Steve Weiss, John Najarian, Joe Terranova here as well. Good to see everybody. On this Monday, take you to the wall. Stocks, well, the great divergence on display yet again. Dow hits another new record, crosses 35,000 for the very first time ever. NASDAQ, though, falling sharply yet again. There it is. Off the worst level, still down 177, though. Tech stocks certainly getting hit. Joe, they're coming after Facebook and Alphabet now. Both of those stocks get downgraded over at City. They say, quote, caution is now in order. How do we put all of that into perspective now? Well, I think you have to separate Facebook and Alphabet from the rest of the emerging hyper cult growth type of stocks. I'm going to stay with my Alphabet trade. Uh, I believe that Alphabet will still outperform the S&P on the year. I think the same for Microsoft. While I think Apple and Amazon, I'm resigned to the fact, even in my ownership of Apple, that they are going to underperform year to date. So I think you have to have this separation. But clearly, Scott, we are back in a place where momentum uh, clearly is being liquidated in a very aggressive fashion. You tried to have the bounce march into April. It's rolling back over once again. Look no further than some stocks like CRISPR Therapeutics, the Trade Desk, even Teladoc, and it's very obvious what's going on. But back to the fangs, Facebook and Alphabet, I think they'll be okay in the long run. Weiss, I mean, tech is out of favor, right? And if this doesn't underscore it, I don't know what does. When you start coming for some of the fangs, you know, I'm talking like research reports downgrading real winners, right? Alphabet and Facebook among the fang stocks Mm -hmm. were the best performers in that group year to date. Now we're going after them? Yeah, and, and that's a good point. And, uh, you know, the, I don't think the analyst rationale is is particularly valid in terms of this being the peak for ad revenues. Although you take a look at Trade Desk and say, maybe there's something to it. I agree with Joe, but it doesn't mean that they're not going to continue to trade down. To me, this is the time to be nervous in the market because I could write many book reports, Judge, and I know you love them, on why the empirical evidence <laughs> all shows that certain tech names, semi-names, should be higher. Look, we have shortage in, in copper. We have shortage in steel. We have shortage in semis. Semis are down. Those are up. Makes no sense, particularly when you're at the forefront of a move to digitization, which is going to last not well, then why years, did you sell but Micron? decades. Why did you sell Micron, and why are you cutting your exposure to tech? Right. Because just because I think it and just because those may be the underlying facts, it doesn't mean that's how the market's going to react. Because you're dealing with old algo models, which say that when rates move up, when inflation moves up, technology and growth goes down. So I agree with some of it, but technology, more so than ever, is divisible into two groups. 
So while I'm short through puts in a number of the momentum names, some that Joe mentioned, I added to Corvo today as a trade, down 8%. Their earnings are going to double year over year. It's selling at a 40% discount to the market. It doesn't make any sense. But again, I don't have the ego. You can't survive as an investor if your ego overrules the reality of what's happening. So it'll be a time to come to tech. But with inflation numbers coming out this week, CPI and PPI, I think you're going to get another jolt. Every CEO I talk to talks about the supply chain and inflation. And that's going to hit. And the Fed's going to have to move quicker sooner than later. Well, we still have this prevailing thought among everybody but the Fed that the Fed's asleep at the wheel when it comes to what the real inflation impacts are going to be moving forward. So, Jenny, I also get a little bit of is this as good as it gets sort of narrative around this conversation because that's kind of what City talks about when they look at the reasons and three things they say that make them nervous around Alphabet and Facebook. Sure, the ad market's going to be red hot and it is red hot right now, but they think growth is likely to decelerate. You own Facebook and so do a lot of our viewers. I know that. Jenny? Well, Jenny's audio is not working. So, Doc, you want to take that one? Yes, sir. Yeah, you bet, Scott. Um, I'm one of those true believers, as you know, for a long time in Facebook. And uh, quite frankly, I thought that this report or this analyst's view was spot on. Um, so I have rolled down. I haven't exited the trade in Facebook, but this is one of those times, Judge, when uh, I decided, okay, uh, there's just too much momentum to the downside. Josh and I talked about it last week when I said that I think this is the time uh, with rates this low that uh, people are projecting out into the future, Scott, and they're saying, you know what, I think when the rates do start moving up, these stocks are going to be hit. So I'm, they're basically getting ahead of it. They're the Oklahoma Sooners, Scott, getting ahead of uh, where they would be three months from now, six months from now, when the rates are pushing back towards two. Rates are 1.57 right now, uh, and yet these tech stocks are just being killed, you know, across the board. Snap, Plug, I mean, uh, Square. There's a bunch of these companies, especially Square and PayPal, that I really love, but I'm just kind of backing off a little bit, not exiting all of those. But in the case of Facebook, Scott, I rolled down from the 315s to the 310s. That stock traded down to 305. It's making a little bit of a pushback around 308 when we came on air. But you look at what is uh, good for that 1.57 tenure and DR Horton just popping to the upside. Um, BBY, uh, Best Buy, also moving up. Um, and obviously they've done their omni-channel and they've done a spectacular job during the pandemic. But now that the stores are opened up uh, more fully, uh, that stock really getting some love right here, too. So Urban Outfitters, I mean, we can go across the board. Well, a bunch of these names yeah. are doing well, but not the tech stocks. No, exactly right. I'll, I'll give you even more evidence of, of how tech is, is out of favor. And, Jenny, the kinds of stocks that, that John Najarian is talking about right here are the ones that are in favor. More than a third of the right. S&P, by the way, is hitting new highs today, right? It may not feel like that right. yep. if you look at certain parts of the market, but you've got like 40% of the S&P hitting new highs. Names like Comcast, our parent company, Borg Warner, Caesars, Home Depot, exactly the kinds of stocks that John Najarian was just talking about with Best Buy, L Brands, Lennar, Lowe's, Ross, Target, Ralph, TJX, Coca-Cola, Mondelez, Chevron, yep. so many more. That's just a smattering of names from that list today, Jenny. 
Right, and this is what we've been talking about for the past eight months, which was we had massive leadership by five or six companies, by Fang and Tesla. For a long time, there was massive leadership. And so starting about eight months ago, I started to say, we don't need those guys to lead anymore for the market to continue to do really well. And I think that's what we're seeing. We're seeing this broadening out. The foundation of the market is getting more stable. Let the Fang trade take a pause. That's okay. Scott, when you asked me before, is this as good as it gets? That depends on two things. That depends on your time frame. And if your time frame is short and your heavy mega cap tech or the reopening trade, like maybe it's as good as it gets for you for you now. If you're a long-term investor, the answer is it's never as good as it gets. Go back and look at a hundred year chart of the market and there's always more upside to come. Do I think we could have a pause? Sure, why not? There's always a pause in store. Also, when you ask if it's as good as it gets, it depends on what sector you're in. Look at energy, look at financials, look at my universe. If you look at the Dow Jones Select Dividend Index, that's up 29% this year. So if it's as good as it gets for the big mega cap, large cap growth players of last year, maybe, but it's not as good as it gets for others out there who are still trading at a discount. Okay. So I think this is, sorry, can I say one more thing on tech though? Go ahead. Because I think this is like a year where we really, thanks, where yeah. we really need nuance. And, um, and so when we look at tech and we say, oh, tech's, tech's taking a pause, tech's out of favor, sure. Again, if you want to use a broad brush, you might not make money, but there's opportunity, and this goes back to exactly what John was saying, there's opportunity to make money in tech. And what's in our portfolio are things like, apply, this is in our growth portfolio, applied materials up 54% this year, Cisco up 16%, sorry, 19%. Intel, which is actually still up a lot this year and more than the market and more than the tech index, VMware, IBM, these stocks are all up significantly. From so the even basement, when you want to like poo-poo right? tech. From the basement. Well, I would say from the beginning of the year, you know, and what I always say is the like, where's your starting point? Your starting point and as, a, as an investor is always today. It's always here and now and going forward from today. Okay. So I think there is opportunity in okay, tech. Okay, so since you went granular. there, so since you went there, I'm going to follow up. I'm going to follow up with you that since the okay. opportunity is from today, let's not pay attention where Intel was, you know, in the dumpster to where it climbed itself out mm -hmm. and now it, it, it gets downgraded to a sell at, at Atlantic Equities. Today, looking ahead okay. from today, it gets downgraded from neutral to underweight. Following the appointment of Patrick Gelsinger, they say as Intel CEO, we upgraded the stock to neutral given the opportunity for a strategic change, right? That was in part why the stock started to rally again. However, they say we do not believe uh, that they have the answer to market share losses to AMD, right? That's, that's the bottom line in this story. Whether you can make up the lost ground to AMD and NVIDIA and all of these other stories that are told so better these days than Intel seems to be telling its own. Okay, but you're cherry picking one analyst. You can look at Baird, who hasn't outperformed with an eighty-five dollar uh, I could have gone to Stacy Rascon too. He, has a buy. I could have gone to Stacy Rascon too. Okay. He's the number one analyst in the space, and he has a sell. I didn't use him. He's also been wrong. He's also been wrong. But Baird, Mizuho, Credit Suisse all have really positive ratings. Also, when we want to talk about Intel. Intel's lunch being eaten by NVIDIA and AMD. Well, let's just remember, Intel in this year, 2021, is expected to earn $18.9 billion. Guess what AMD is going to earn? $2.6 billion. Guess what NVIDIA is going to earn? $8.6 billion. Meanwhile, they're trading at multiples of two and three times greater than that of Intel. And if we want to look at where the puck's going or where, what's happening this year, Intel's, even after trading down a little bit today, is still up 13 and change percent on the year. NVIDIA's up 10. AMD's down 16. So there's 
Also, there's a, semi, a semiconductor shortage. That just means we need as many chips as we can get. There is room for all of these guys to play and all of these guys to succeed, and that's what I think is going to okay, happen. Okay, so the other Personally, thing... Personally, I'd rather own the biggest and the cheapest. The other thing, John, that, that Jenny just said that I thought was interesting was pointing out the broadening out mm -hmm. of the rally. Okay, I, I mentioned all those S&P stocks that are hitting new highs today at the expense of some of the tech stocks where money is coming out of and clearly going into more cyclical and reopen nature stocks. Broadening out being good... Um, versus looking at what's happening in some of those big tech stocks, which have done nothing. Forget the hyper growth ones that Joe was talking about, but a lot of the FANG stocks, which have, have sort of stood still. It's kind of the view, John, that Kathy Wood has. I want you to listen to what she told the closing bell, to what she told the closing bell on Friday afternoon. She's not worried at all for many of the same reasons that Jenny pointed out. Let's listen and we can talk on the other side. I love this setup. Uh, you know, I, the last time I was on, I think I said uh, that this rotation was good news because uh, it meant the bull market was broadening out. It was strengthening. And uh, the, the worst thing that could have happened to us is to have the market narrowly focus on just our ilk of stock, the, the innovation space. Uh, instead, it has broadened out so that year to date, uh, I think it's uh, energy's up 40%, financials are up 27%. Our point of view, five-year time horizon, nothing has changed except the price. Okay, Doc, what do you make of that? This is basically like chill out, everybody. It, this market's good for the very reasons that Kathy Wood said don't pay so much attention to the fact that a lot of the stocks in my funds are down a lot. The correction's healthy, money's going elsewhere, and that's a better sign for the long term. You, you've heard that uh, <laughs> expressed by a number of folks on this show, Scott, um, that, uh, you know, be patient. Um, I know Jenny is a patient investor, and Joe and Steve are as well, but the three of us, Joe, Steve, and I, are probably a little bit more trade-oriented than Jenny or Kathy would. And, you know, sure, if you are somebody with that uh, long-term lens and you're looking out there further into the future than short-term traders like I am, Scott, um, then you're saying, wow, I love getting Palantir down at this price. I don't love trading Palantir and having it go down 6% a day, Scott. You just so bailed on it too, right? You just exited that trade yeah, along with, exactly. I think it was Snowflake, right? Snowflake, ServiceNow. Um, there's so many in that bundle, Scott, that I would love to own. But when you're a trader, you just can't stomach that 4%, 5%, you know, just uh, death by a thousand cuts. So I had to, you know, exit many of those kinds of stocks. Now, that's one of the reasons, though, that Pete and I always talk about options, because I can keep rolling down those options, like in Facebook, for example. Um, and that lets me stick with the trade and perhaps even milk some of that higher volatility in those plays because as people get nervous in those the volatility goes up you get bigger premiums for things you sell against options that you own but my gosh uh you know i i applaud kathy i think she's brilliant so do i think the same of you jenny um but i just can't uh be a trader of stocks that are going down like that i have to eventually you know we all talk about catching the falling knife scott yeah i was buying these because of their momentum to the upside when that momentum breaks and again back to josh and i last week i think it has broken i think there's a lot of us that are basically thinking that this has gotten 
uh, three to six months ahead of where they think interest rates and the market will be. And that's why I think when we finally start getting those interest rate mm. increases, mm -hmm. you're not going to see the same sort of pain that you see right now, especially with 157 in the tenure. This shouldn't be happening. It's happening because they are projecting out there, Scott, into the future. And the market is a discounting mechanism. Sure. Well, look, Steve, um, David Costin at Goldman today is talking about FANG. Right. And he was saying, OK, you know, with with interest rates as as low as they were, FANG multiples were justified being where they were in many respects. However, now today he says rising interest rates represent a potential headwind to FANG. And uh, uh, you substitute Microsoft for for uh, Netflix, F-A-A-M-G. Uh, you can you have a potential headwind in coming months to, to returns. Jeremy Siegel told us last week he remains concerned about inflation. We skipped ahead from the third inning at the beginning of April to the sixth inning in his mind of this boom and where we are in the market in the span of six weeks. So where does all of this leave us? Well, I, I think John laid it out perfectly. And here's the reality of what Costin says. When Costin puts out his report, and I love David, and I've worked with him at Solomon, he's, he's brilliant, and I think he's got it right. However, the reality is, is that I can't sell Apple without incurring a 50% plus hit to it. And so I've got to look at Apple, I've got to look at Facebook, even though it's trading position, but take the other fangs, including Microsoft, and I've got to say, okay, where are they gonna be? Are they gonna be down 50% over the next couple of years? If so, they're not happy to sell. But is this just a moment? To me, the way I've handled it is that I've offset it with put positions in Teladoc, in CrowdStrike, because it's so crowded, and I've, and I've also got some put positions in Snowflake because the momentum has broken. And these stocks are selling at an infinite level of earnings on a PE multiple because they don't have any. And if they do, they're too high. <clears throat> Excuse me. And the multiple revenues is ridiculous. You see what happens when you go so on too long? down a lot more the, the, than the ones you mentioned. You see what happens when you go on too long? The body <laughs> self-corrects. Yeah, which I'm, I'm, not, glad. I'm not used no, to I don't it. have to I do it. get in training again. I don't have to jump in and stop because <laughs> now the body's ask. like, whoa, what's this guy talking forever? Now you drink your water because yeah, I'm going to go talk Josh, to Joe. I got to ask, I got to ask Josh why his voice never breaks. I'm going to get yeah. that training mechanism. So <laughs> oh. is this, Joe, a mere moment in time or is, or is Kathy Wood right that, that we, should, we should all if you're in that sphere of stock that, that Steve Weiss was just talking about, a lot of these high multiple ones, the high price to sales ones, that you should, quote unquote, love this setup and buy some of these names like she's done on the dips? No, I wouldn't do that. We're at, we, we are normalizing the abnormal. 2020 was a completely abnormal year. Well, the only thing that mattered is that you looked at a chart. And it went from the lower left to the upper right. We never introduced the word quality. We didn't look at a fundamental balance sheet. I think we're looking at technology and we're extrapolating this word FANG, adding Microsoft, removing Netflix. And we're kind of placing that within the basket for a lot of these names that Steve and John and I previously identified. I think that's completely wrong. You look at technology, you look at communication services, Scott, it's 38% of the S&P 500. You need to get technology or communication services exposure somewhere. You're going to get that in the fangs because you're not going to be experiencing uh, the absence of having free cash flow on the balance sheet. But you have to understand they're going to outperform. 
This is back to a normalized environment. Who had the Dow Jones Industrials on May 10th of this year being the leading index domestically in the U.S.? Certainly not me. Certainly not a lot of other people. Well, I think a lot of other I'll people. Add, no, I mean, why, why do you say that? Why do you say that? I mean, we're, we're having the greatest economic boom in history. And it may last for a long time. We don't know. So wouldn't the stocks in the Dow, more cyclically natured, industrial type stocks, more played towards the recovery and the reopening of the economy? Why wouldn't they outperform now relative to what they did when we were all sitting home twiddling our thumbs? I, th I think that's fair. But if you remember where we were well, at the beginning fact. of the year, we. <laughs> well, let me finish my thought. If you remember where we were at the beginning of the year, we were waiting for that economic optimism. We still had concerns as it related to COVID. We were still hearing from the airlines, specifically Delta, how troubling it was in terms of the economic optimism that was actually going to be projected. So thankfully, it's becoming a reality now. But I'll go back to what I said previously. I'm not so sure, and you might disagree with me, that very many people expected the Dow in this environment would outperform small caps, the Russell 2000 index, because that's exactly what has happened. And to your point, if you're actually going to have that economic optimism, then the Russell should have actually outperformed the Dow. So we could kind of argue on which index should be outperforming the other. I think it just goes back to this is 2016 all over again. It's a normalizing process. And I don't think that you should be looking at a lot of these emerging growth stocks that don't have the quality on their balance sheet and saying, this is the moment to buy them. Okay. No, you want to stay cyclically oriented, as I told you last week. Okay, let's Freeport, bring... McMoran, Louisiana Pacific. All right, all right. Which you, you bought, I think you bought Freeport, right? <laughs> I've been adding to it throughout. Yeah. Okay, let's welcome in our headliner now, Adam Parker. He is Triv Trivariate Research Partner. He is uh, back with us now. Uh, AP, it's good to see you again. Welcome back. Yeah, great to see you, Scott. All right. So I hope you heard our conversation here. I did. I did. Where are we at? Where are we going? Well, one thing I checked uh, before I uh, dialed in here, uh, Judge Wapner did 2,484 shows on People's Court. I was wondering if you've done more. You can think about that. <laughs> OK, um, I think I have some time <laughs> to go here. You might you might have another couple of years to go. Anyway, uh, great. Great to be back on the show. I heard the debate. And uh, look, I think it really depends on your time horizon. We did a lot of work on both Fang M uh, and on growth stocks. And here's where I come out. Uh, I think this cycle really rhymes more the 2009, 2010 recovery. We're 12, 13 months from the lows today. And if you look back in the last cycle financial crisis, I think you hit on some key points. What works is margin expansion and cash flow generation. So if you want to buy growth stocks, they do have to have uh, some justifiable price to cash flow and they do have to have margin expansion. I think that those are the two real keys to dipping in there. Those were the most effective metrics for months three through six after the initial growth correction. This is the 11th growth stock correction since the financial crisis. And nearly every time those two metrics were the most effective to predict return. I think this one started, what, mid-February in terms of the bear steepening fear on growth stocks. So we're kind of almost three months from from when it started, and that's what's going to work over the next three, six months. By, by the way, October of this year is our 10th anniversary. I'm just throwing that out there. So, you know, we can look at the numbers. Nice. We can look at the numbers. With, you... <laughs> with Judge Wagner. I wanted to make you think, you know. I want... Thank yeah. you. 
Um, with weekends and holidays and all that stuff, I don't have an exact number in my head, but we can figure that out for sure. You're the, you're the statistics good, good. guy, so you should have had that number uh, figured out already. I just wanted to give Wapner context uh, Thank you. for you. Let me ask you this. Are we in trouble here or not? Let's just break it down as simple as we can. I don't think so. I think in order to get really nervous about markets, you need to believe margins are going to go lower. And I don't believe that. I don't see hubris from management teams in terms of inventory or capital spending. Um, I don't see, you know, I think the biggest risk is frankly on input costs uh, because you do have a huge move in commodities uh, and that could hurt companies. I think you heard Buffett talk about that at his investor day and the like, and I think it's real. But ultimately, uh, I think earnings are growing. The economy is accelerating. You got an accommodative Fed. And you have a lot of fiscal stimulus. So if you look back five, 10 years from now on this year and you say the market was up, whatever, 10, 15 percent this year, you want to you want to fight a Fed and you want to fight fiscal policy with accelerating earnings and accelerating economic growth? I don't think so. Well, of course, sure, not. you get near of, of, of yeah. course not. So, but what, but what so happens? Do if, it. But what happens if the Fed is pushed to do something that we don't think it's it's going to do? Certainly what it doesn't want to do for the very reasons of, of what you just said. Right. We're a wash in money, whether it's from the Fed itself or from the government right. and all this stimulus, and that causes inflation, and that causes the Fed to do what we don't think it, it's going to do, and that's move on rates or taper or whatever, and it causes the market to get all upset. Yeah, I do think that the Fed sticks to that you know, full employment and stable pricing mandate, and um, I don't think, although I've heard this from a number of traders who barely seem educated to me that I've worked with the last 20 years, that they think the Fed are the dumb ones, I don't think the Fed are the dumb ones. I never thought Bernanke was dumb in the last crisis. Um, so I would just go and assume that the guys with all the experience have some uh, intelligence to them. So I think they're going to wait till you get better um, data on employment. And I think the big thing you saw last Friday was on the wage front. Um, you don't see a lot of wage increases. That's going to lag the commodity boom. And so I think they're going to be a little bit slower and more accommodative. I don't think you should buy the crazy valuation growth stocks because they are at risk, as you guys point out, most of their value is in the terminal value. And so if rates rise, their their value is hurt. You buy the growth stocks that have some cash flow and have margin expansion. And there are a bunch of them. Um, and by the way, some of them include the the fang, the big fang ones you talked about. So I, I don't necessarily think you want to get nervous on your equity exposure. Frankly, the biggest problem I have is just the valuation is high. But we, we did this interesting note where we showed you know that almost 40% of the equity market now is either FangM software or biotech. Just think about that. 600 of the biggest 3,000 U.S. public equities are software or biotech. So people don't really care in those equities about current uh, valuation. What they care about is their ability to sustain growth for a long period of time. And right. those companies generally have been delivering on longer growth. So I think you know these historical comparisons on Shilder PEs and those kind of things are predicated on 4 to 5% 10-year interest rates, and they're predicated on a 15 times multiple on some average margins. And th 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 those are crazy assumptions because we don't have, we have 1.6 in the 10-year, and we're not going to get 4 or 5 anytime soon. And we don't have average margins. We have above average margins for a while, forever, maybe for years because of the constitution of the companies that are in there. So I'm, I'm more optimistic on, on the outlook. So you had mentioned, you know, you, you said something to the effect of, well, there's a lot of stocks out there that, that you can buy. I just want to throw out four that you like. Berkshire, B-Shares, J.P. Morgan, McDonald's, Honeywell, and Schwab. Names, frankly, they get talked about um, a lot on this program. So we're, I think we're well-versed with why you may, you may like those names. But I want you to leave us the last thought of yours. You were in your past life the number one ranked semiconductor 
analyst on right. Wall Street, right? So right. Yes. I'll, I'll, for, I'll forgive you if you're a little biased towards the space. We know how you analysts right. are. But yeah. what's up with this space with the chips? What are we supposed to sure. do? Yeah. Yeah. On the first point, I just say, look, those are quality reopening names. And I think you want to fade the low quality ones that are reopening because a lot of those have gone up a lot and get into the you know higher quality names. In terms of the chips, there's two things you have to watch. And I wouldn't worry about today's sell off too much, to be honest with you. I, I think you have to watch backlogs and book to bill ratios. Backlogs are your customers can't get product. They start telling you they want more and more uh, and they put it on the book in the future. Right. The book to bill is how much that they got ordered versus how much they shipped. As soon as you find out that somebody puts something on backlog that they don't need, that's when you run for the hills. Right now, I think demand growth is exceeding supply growth and you want to own the space. Yeah. I wouldn't I wouldn't pick on, you know, any individual name. Intel's got some share issues and the like for sure. But I think broadly, holistically, when you look at the group, the, the, the Texas instruments and the guys with diversified customer bases, Demand growth will exceed supply growth, and you're going to want to exposure to the group. So you can add when they're down. I'm, I'm optimistic on the element for that. Group. Okay. Uh, it's great to see you. Don't be a stranger. Adam Parker, we'll talk I'd to you love, again I'd soon. love to be back. Great to see you All guys. Right. Take yeah, care. We look forward to having you back. Uh, that's, uh, again, Adam Parker, Trivariate Research. Uh, he is the founder. Up next, the investment committee making moves in the market more than we've told you so far. So we'll catch you up there. We'll have the trades. And a reminder, you can always watch or listen to us live on the go on the CNBC app. We're back in just two minutes. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit odfl.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Phil LeBeau with a news alert on Ford. The automaker announcing that it will be unveiling the all-electric F-150. It'll happen a week from Wednesday, actually Wednesday night, the 19th. That's when Ford will be showing the F-150 Lightning Edition. It's the all-electric F-150 that the company will start building next year at its Rouge plant outside of Detroit. And then you have the vehicle delivery starting in the middle of next year, Scott. So this is it. This is the beginning of what people are going to be focused on when you start to see these main huge names like the F-150 coming as electric versions. This is when we start to see what kind of demand is out there in the market for electric vehicles over the next couple of years. Okay. We appreciate that. Looking at a little move there in the stock. Uh, Phil LeBeau, thank you. I also want to call your attention to what you may have seen on the bottom of your screen while Phil LeBeau was giving that report, and that is the Colonial Pipeline saying that uh, it looks to be back in service by the end of the week. I'm looking at a press release that moved from the company just a short time ago, and it says that uh, portions of uh, the pipeline at this point uh, are coming back online as well. We may as well also hear from the White House at the bottom of the hour. Oh, actually, we're a couple minutes past that now, but at least sometime in the very near future, uh, an update on the situation as the White House knows it and maybe what our national security apparatus is prepared to do all of that. And we'll certainly keep you up to date and bring you that news as it crosses. In the meantime, let's get the other headlines now with Rahel Solomon. Hi, Rahel. 
Hi, Scott. Hello, everyone. Here's what's happening at this hour. Israel's military says that seven rockets were fired from Gaza toward Jerusalem today as tensions intensify over a mosque in the city. And AP quotes Gaza health officials as saying nine people, including three children, were killed in an explosion there. Unclear if it was an Israeli reprisal or an errant rocket from the Hamas attack. There have been days of violent clashes between Palestinian protesters and Israeli police centered on the mosque. The World Health Organization is classifying a new COVID variant first identified in India as a variant of concern. Early evidence shows that it is more transmissible than some other variants. And international help for India is coming in by sea as well as by air. Indian a Navy vessel arrived today with oxygen tanks from France, with more coming from Singapore and Kuwait. And the Biden administration says that federal laws against sex discrimination in health care do protect transgender people. That's a reversal of the Trump administration's more narrow interpretation of those laws. You're now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. Right, I appreciate that. Rahel, thank you. Rahel Solomon. All right, let's talk about some of these moves uh, before we uh, go to break. Joe, you sold Uber last Friday. I'm, I'm somewhat surprised why this happened other than the stock just got creamed in a week. Well, you should not be surprised. We discussed this with Jim Cramer last Wednesday. We identified that the stock should have been doing much better than it was. The stock made its high in February, has been unable on the economic optimism you spoke about previously to break out at all. I bought the stock way too high. One thing I will never do is take the knockout punch. You know I emphasize studying price performance, but I also emphasize risk management. And I've had several instances here in the last couple of months where I have had to cut my losses, whether it's Pinterest, Pinduoduo, Coinbase, or even Score Media. This aligns with it. I think it's a great company, but it did not show me anything in terms of price performance. I'm out. Okay. I just wanted to um, underscore as well, I, you mentioned it in passing. Just, just the viewers know, you bought more Freeport and you bought more Louisiana Pacific with the funds there that came out of Uber so that we're all on the same page. I know you did uh, mention that, but I just wanted to underscore uh, bold that, if you will. Uh, Jenny, you sold Seagate. You, well, you've only owned it for, uh, I don't know, what, two weeks? One year, almost on the nose. Um, so oh, a year, my, my, bad. My, like... my bad, my bad, my bad. It said yeah, you no, bought no, it no. May 1st. No, I didn't I realize it, it was, it was uh, 2020. Yeah, you thought there was a different person here, huh? <laughs> no, we owned it for a year, got the long-term capital gain, <laughs> but this is something that we were able to able to own um, or able to buy last year at the one almost at the lows of the pandemic, and um, and here we are, fast forward, and at a twenty times multiple, which is really stretched compared to their historic multiples. It's a great company, but I don't think that there's that much upside. And last week when we were talking about things like Apple and Netflix, not surprising me because I thought that all of the good news was incorporated in the shares already, I had to apply that same logic to looking at Seagate. I also sold Lamar Advertising, which is the billboard company, same logic there. So I sold both of these at almost their all-time highs. I have not repurposed the cash yet, so I'm sitting on cash. I have a nice watch list, but nothing that's quite right to buy here and now. So um, that's a, to me, that's a statement when I don't pair a buy with a sell. Okay. We will take a quick break, and we come back. The big ETFs you need to watch. Plus, tomorrow, May 11th, do not miss the CNBC Healthy Return Summit. We're bringing together top healthcare CEOs, technologists, and investors to explore how the most innovative companies are addressing the coronavirus crisis and the lasting effects on the industry. You can register now at cnbcevents.com slash healthy returns. Great lineup. We're back after this. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. 
This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. All right, let's go to the White House now for that news event uh, regarding the, uh, the ransomware attack on the Colonial Pipeline. Let's uh, listen in right now to these officials. It's great to be with you today. Thank you, Jen. I have an update for you on the Colonial Pipeline and what the Biden administration is doing to provide assistance through a whole-of-government effort. On Friday evening, May 7th, Colonial Pipeline reported that its pipeline system had been subject to a ransomware cyber attack. Colonial chose to shut down its pipeline operations as a precautionary measure and to ensure that the ransomware could not migrate from business computer systems to those that control and operate the pipeline. We've been in ongoing contact with Colonial, and the President continues to be regularly briefed on the incident and our work. Colonial is currently working with its private cybersecurity consultants to assess potential damage and to determine when it is safe to bring the pipeline back online. Thus far, Colonial has told us that it has not suffered damage and can be brought back online relatively quickly, but that safety is a priority, given that it has never before taken the entire pipeline down. Beginning on Friday night, soon after we learned of the shutdown, the White House convened an interagency team that included the Department of Energy, which is the lead agency for incident response in this case, the Department of Homeland Security Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency, or CISA, the FBI, the Department of Transportation, Pipeline Safety, and Hazardous Materials Safety Administration, the Department of the Treasury, the Department of Defense, and other agencies. To give you a sense of what we've been doing together since that first meeting, we have met throughout the weekend. The Department of Energy's Information Energy Information Agency, or EIA, is in contact with state and local agencies to assess current supply and impacts due to the shutdown. DOE has also convened the oil and natural gas and electric sector utility partners to share details about the ransomware attack and discuss recommended measures to mitigate further incidents across the industry. DHS's CISA is preparing a release to go to the broader critical infrastructure community to ensure it has visibility into the ransomware attack, and it's taking appropriate measures to protect its networks. Colonial is responsible for safely returning the pipeline to service, and our role in the federal government is to take proactive steps to analyze the impacts of the shutdown on the delivery of gasoline, diesel, and aviation fuel in states that are dependent on the pipeline, and to identify federal options for alleviating supply shortfalls should they develop. For example, to help address potential supply disruptions, the Department of Transportation issued an hours of service waiver yesterday, which provides greater flexibility to drivers transporting gasoline, diesel, jet fuel, and other refined petroleum products across 17 states, as well as the District of Columbia.
Right now, there is not a supply shortage. We are preparing for multiple possible contingencies because that's our job, especially on the Homeland Security team, and considering what additional steps may be useful to mitigate any potential disruptions to supply. This weekend's events put the spotlight on the fact that our nation's critical infrastructure is largely owned and operated by private sector companies. When those companies are attacked, they serve as the first line of defense, and we depend on the effectiveness of their defenses. To improve the cybersecurity of our crit critical infrastructure, the Biden administration has already launched a high-priority initiative to collaborate with our private sector partners to harden our defenses and to build our nation's resilience. And that is a perfect segue to my colleague Ann Neuberger, our Deputy National Security Advisor for Cyber and Emerging Technologies. Thanks. Thank you, Liz. Good morning, everyone. So building on Liz's comments, as you know, on Friday, Colonial shut proactively its pipeline operations as a precautionary measure to ensure ransomware would not spread to its sensitive operational networks. In response, we're taking a multi-pronged and whole-of-government response to this incident and to ransomware overall. First, we're actively engaged with the company and offered support as needed to restore their systems. Right now, they've not asked for cyber support for the federal government, but we remain available to meet their cybersecurity needs. Second, we're aggressively investigating the incident and its culprits. As part of their work today, FBI released a flash alert with indicators of compromise and mitigation measures once infected. The FBI identified the ransomware as the dark side variant, which they've been investigating since October of last year. It's a ransomware as a service variant, where criminal affiliates conduct attacks and then share the proceeds with the ransomware developers. We recommend all critical infrastructure owners and operators use the indicators that came out in the FBI flash to protect themselves. And if other, if other entities are infected, please notify the FBI. Third, the government is convening stakeholders more broadly to ensure everybody has the information needed to protect themselves and to rapidly share information. This morning, the Department of Energy convened calls with the electricity and oil and gas sectors to keep them informed. The Departments of Energy, Transportation, and DHS, and others will be sharing further indicators of compromise with the Sector Information Sharing and Analysis Centers, or ISACs. And the Department of Energy will be holding additional calls with critical infrastructure stone, st sector Okay, those are national security uh, officials updating the current situation with the Colonial Pipeline and the ransomware attack over the weekend, which did, uh, in fact, shut down that pipeline. Uh, dark side has been identified as the perpetrators of that attack, as you heard there in those comments. The company, uh, Colonial, for its part, says it has a goal of what it says is substantially restoring operational service by the end of the week, our Eamon Javers in Washington has been following this story. And Eamon, the key question you asked earlier is what U.S. officials are prepared to do about this attack. Right now, they say they're taking a what they term a multi-pronged and whole-of-government response as they investigate that group called Darkside, which, by the way, Eamon, they said they started investigating that group back in the fall. 
Yeah, absolutely. This is a group that came almost out of nowhere. I've been talking to cybersecurity experts about DarkSide today, and they say that they appeared, they were nowhere on the radar, and then all of a sudden, very, very active. Uh, so there's some real questions about where this group actually came from. But Scott, look, it's striking to me that we've got a number of statements here. We, you're seeing the U.S. officials now at the White House issuing statements. We heard a statement from Colonial just a short time ago. The FBI has issued a statement. Even the hackers have issued a statement today. And in none of those statements do we get an answer to the big question here, which is, did Colonial pay the ransom or not? We don't know right now. What we know is that Colonial says they're in the process now of bringing their pipeline back online in a step-by-step -step process, that they feel like that can be done substantially by the end of the week. Uh, what we don't know is if money changed hands, dollars being sent to hackers or, or more literally Bitcoin or Monero or some kind of cyber currency being sent to hackers. That's the big mystery here. And none of the people involved is giving us the answer to the question. And I think the answer to that question is going to have a lot of bearing for other companies that are hit by attacks like this. Does the U.S. government expect them to pay or does the U.S. government have some ability to intervene in a situation like this and get a company out of this kind of hot water without paying? And that's the question that we don't have the answer to right now. If you're corporate America, you want to know, you would hope that the U.S. government can help you and save the day here without you having to send a check, figuratively speaking, to a criminal organization. That may or may not be true, and we just don't know the answer to it as we sit here right now. We'll listen for it in the Q&A portion of this briefing. We're going to monitor that, Eamon, but, but they did, in fact, make the statement um, somewhat definitively that it's Colonial that is responsible for getting the pipeline back up and running. It depends, I suppose, what right. the definition of responsible is in this case. Sure does. And look, you, the government has said in the past that they don't want private sector companies paying ransoms to these bad guys because that makes a market, right? And if you do that, you're A, encouraging the next set of bad guys and B, endowing the current set of bad guys with the financial wherewithal to do this again and better with newer and more sophisticated technology and, and more employees. So you don't want, <clears throat> if you're the U.S. government, you don't want companies paying. But imagine if you're in the boardroom at Colonial right now. You need to get back up and running. You've got the entire East Coast of the United States depending on you. Your business operations depend on this. You're going to look at this and say, do I have a choice or not? And that's going to be a business and financial decision as well as a sort of logistical and geopolitical decision. Yeah, nobody knows the issue better. Eamon, thank you. Eamon Javers in Washington for us. We'll step away. We'll be back in two minutes. And welcome to the ETF Edge portion of Halftime Report. I'm Bob Bassani, back at the NYSE. Two big trends in ETFs this year. One hot, one not so hot. John Hoffman's the head of ETFs and Index Strategy Americas at Invesco. He joins us with more. John, clean energy, the darling of 2020. It's run into some tough times in 2021. You run two of the biggest ones out there, the solar ETF, TAN, T-A-N, and that green energy index fund, PBW, both off more than 40% from their recent highs in February. Why is clean energy stalled out? Bob, in the months leading up to the election, we, we started to see flows pick up in the space and, and really even accelerate post-election. And uh, these names have moved a lot from a performance standpoint. Both ETFs were up over 200% in 2020. Uh, they've pulled back, as you mentioned, a bit this year. But 
when we think about this transformation to cleaner energy, you know, and we think about it over decades, not days. And I joke, Bob, that after 15 years, these two ETFs are an overnight success story. We launched PBW, the Clean Energy Fund, in 2005. We launched TAN, the solar ETF, in 2008. And so we really opened up the sector for investors. These were the first ETFs in the space. Uh, back then, uh, the companies were a lot smaller. This was an emerging sector. Fast forward to today, it's still a relatively new space. If you add up the market cap, Bob, of all the names in PBW uh, and exclude Tesla, less than half a trillion dollar space. And so when you think about the move to sustainability and clean energy, and this is not just a U.S. thing, this is global, uh, the regulatory pressure, the societal demand, there's a lot of money moving into this sector. Uh, and it's difficult to pick a single stock in the space. We see a lot of investors like to buy the index, get exposure to the entire theme. And Bob, we think about this over the long horizon. The trend to cleaner energy, solar power, water resources, greener buildings. These are long-term uh, themes here, Bob, that we're seeing play out. Okay, John, we had some breaking news, so we got to let you go here. But we got much more on the top ETF trends for 2021. On ETF Edge at 1 p.m. Eastern time, we have returned to the NYSE, as you can see. John will be joined by Doug Jonas. He's the head of ETFs for the New York Stock Exchange. Doug will be updating us on where the money is going in the ETF business in 2021 and a lot of big inflows there. ETFedge.cnbc.com. Halftime, back right after this. All right, Doc, we got to be quick. What do you have for unusual today? All right, Scott, you remember when everything was all about online learning? EDU, this is Chinese online learning uh, company, about a $24 billion company. The 15 strike calls in June, Scott, they bought a lot of those. I jumped in. The stock was in the mid-14s. Second one, real quick, take a look at Western Union. They're buying the August 26 calls with the stock just below that strike as well. I also bought this in hopes of, in both cases, selling a higher strike against them as the day progresses, Scott. All right, Doc, thank you. We'll take a quick break. Final trades are next. All right, folks, let's do final trades. Jenny, you are up first. As we've been so poignantly reminded, pipelines are critical to our daily life. So Kinder Morgan with 83,000 miles of pipeline and a 6% dividend yield. All right, thank you. Doc? Uh, SLV, Scott, uh, very active in the silver contract today. I bought added two calls in that ETF today. Okay, Joe T, speaking of ETFs. So the cyber attack, let's not focus on energy. What's important here is the words of Chairman Powell on 60 Minutes just one month ago that the real risk to the economy is a significant attack. Hack, which is the ETF, gives you that exposure to cybersecurity. All right, good stuff. And Steve Weiss. Corvo on sale here. No reason for it to be down. All right. Bought a little bit more of that, too. Uh, another new high for the Dow Jones Industrial Average today, crossing 35,000 for the very first time. NASDAQ, not so good today yet again. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. You seek the key, but first, you must learn the ways of precision, craft, and performance with Acura's all-electric ZDX. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system up to a 313-mile range and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is their most powerful SUV yet. Unlock the energy.
when you visit Acura.com to order yours today.